Good to turn tonight and study of God's Word to Philemon and looking particularly at verses 8 through 14. It's marvelous study and the doctrine of forgiveness. And I just marvel at the kindness of God demonstrated to us in so many ways. When we think about His favor extended to us and each and every day, the, the vastness of God's creation the marvelous colors. I mean, the Lord uh, at times reminds us of the boundless grace that He pours out towards us. A dear friend uh, and brother in the Lord, you know Bobby Doyle, he is colorblind. And we walk around, and I'm like, you can't see all these vast colors? You know, it's just a reminder, you know, the Lord puts them in my life to remind me of the many full graces that I experience and don't even... Um, recognize just because they're there all the time. Think about the same thing with COVID when COVID came and took away our sense of taste and smell for a while. For some, that was a convenient experience. For others, that was less convenient. But you think about that just for that period of time going through those difficulties and realizing, oh, food could be bland. And not had any taste. I mean, there was a period of time for me, at least for, you know, a couple of weeks there where, you know, I didn't even drink Mountain Dew because it's just plain, you know. I was like, why would you go to that? I almost took up John MacArthur's Fresca or something just because it's different. <laughs> the point being is that when you lose a sense, you lose some of the expressions of the marvelous grace of God and you start to miss the rich kindness. And then when it returns back or you're able to see an experience, you recognize, man, the Lord has lavished us with mercies and kindness all around, day in and day out. I mean, just think about what we eat on a regular basis and the different uh, foods that we have. And we say this is just the lavish expressions of God's grace. But it goes more than that. The Lord even adds in our lives spiritual resources that bless us and build us up. We saw that in the example of Philemon, the character of this man, as Philemon, verse 7, Paul indicates there, when he says, I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. There are those particular choice servants that the Lord gives to His church to bless His church and encourage it, to build it up. And it is a, an expression of God's grace to His people. God sends these individuals to us to encourage us and build us up. Some of them are, are the kind of spiritual influences that change your life. That you would look back on and you say, it's that individual in my life that changed me, set me on a different direction, a different course. Their testimony, their faithfulness, their service, their joy in the Lord, their devotion, their dedication, their example proved to be, for me, a spiritual influence that directed me and radically changed my life. Then it, they become a blessing. They edify and build up. And you can look back and you can say that that choice servant had a unique impact on me. 
It is the grace of God. And these servants who serve in this particular way, tirelessly, sacrificially, demonstrating the love of God through them to others, do this in such a way that they don't want credit. They're not looking for personal exposure. They're not looking for personal honor in some way. They just simply are servants of God, caring for the people of God, rejoicing that in some way they're used for ministry influence, and they rejoice in it. They serve out of a pure love and joy for the people of God, and they seek no personal gain in the midst of it, and it's out of an overflow gratitude to God that they were caring for and ministering to people, so that again, as verse 7 indicates, they refresh the heart of God's people. And to Paul himself, this brought him joy and comfort. Joy and comfort because he saw them ministering. He saw Philemon caring for the body. And he was blessed by it. Genuinely built up. He was encouraged by this. I love those kinds of servants in the body. I've been in many churches now, and I've seen those unique gifts that God gives to the church, the kind of people who serve in their service, laboring tirelessly. They come in the middle of night and help you start a car that will not start. They bring meals. They clean houses, mow yards, clean out garages. Some they give, and they're giving. They are sharing their homes. They're sharing their cars. We even as our family were blessed a few years ago when one family shared their RV with us for an entire month. And we put a lot of miles on that. And the Lord's crown is going to be big for that family. They give, they meet needs, they seek to care for people, and not looking to themselves, they are deflecting. And these are the expression of God's rich grace. They bless the ministry. And enrich the ministry so that these little these elements that operate within the church are just the another expression of the rich grace of God that is poured out on a congregation in different ways. For Paul, it was an encouragement, and you can consider why when he's saying, I have much joy and comfort, you can understand when he's sitting in prison with no ability to go out and meet the church and be with the church, no ability to physically serve or come alongside of them in labor, and yet here he is stuck, and all he could think upon is servants of God in that ministry, doing the work of God, blessing the people, and his heart rejoiced in that. Rejoiced in the evidence of God working through others, transforming others into the image of God, using their gifts for the service of the body. He basically was rejoicing in God's handiwork in a servant. His heart was encouraged by that. For Paul, he said to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 28-29, that it was regularly his burden he says, the pressure upon me concerning all of the churches daily was upon him. He says, who, who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Burdened by what's going on. But here in Philemon, he could write to Philemon and say to Philemon, I know of you that you have refreshed the saints The saints have been refreshed through you, and for this I have comfort and joy in the expression of your love, the love that you pour out. We rejoice to see this. 
We rejoice to see how God cares for his people and blesses his people. Because in that blessing, we see the rich grace of God. And yet sometimes we don't know how to respond to that. We don't know how to respond to that favor, that kind of love, that kind of outpouring. Uh, we, we kind of push back. It, it's too much. It's too much grace. It's too much favor. We kind of have the tendency to act a little bit like Judas and saying, well, couldn't that have been given to something else? Couldn't your expression of love, which you poured out to that family, had gone to some other category? We don't really know how to experience that kind of rich love and care. There's no indication here at this point that when Philemon was serving the body that he was coerced into this. No indication here that he was being tricked by some kind of false doctrine that if you serve the church, you're going to get more rewards in heaven. No kind of indication or promise of gain that he would work his, his self up the, the spiritual ladder of influence if he just gave more. No, this was an expression of the free love of Philemon to serve the church, to care for them. And when we see these kinds of expressions of love poured out, there should bring to our own hearts exactly what it brought to the Apostle Paul's heart, a comfort and joy in the expression of the love. We have to be comforted in the work of God's grace in the life of a believer as that grace is being practiced and lived out in the body of Christ. We set all that up because it transitions us into then the next verses here where Paul goes in to, to interact with Philemon. As I pointed out to you now, now that he presented Philemon and Philemon's grace to the congregation and he built Philemon up and really just lifted him up to this high level before the whole church, this is a servant of servants who I'm pretty sure at this point is feeling very uncomfortable that he has been highlighted so much. And now Paul is going to bring out the request of him. The church here for Philemon, Philemon, I believe, was accustomed to caring richly and deeply for this congregation. The church met in his home. He owned slaves he was the one who's, uh, again, Paul had planned to come and visit. Verse 22 indicates that Paul had come to plan to come visit and stay at his house. He says, at the same time, also prepare me a lodging. Assuming it might have been at his house, it could have been even somewhere else, that he had the means to set him up somewhere else. The point is that Philemon would be the guy carrying this out. So that Paul has already indicated this man was accustomed to providing for the church in tangible ways, in financial ways, in generous ways, the kind of ways that would cause encouragement among the body of Christ and ultimately brought joy to the Apostle Paul. So Paul, in sending this letter to Philemon, makes a request to Philemon for the release of Onesimus to allow Onesimus to come back from, Cor from Colossae to Paul in Rome so he can minister to Rome. 
He is now asking the guy who is accustomed to financially caring for the church to make another financial sacrifice and to care for him. And as I brought up last week, there's a bit of a tension in that. There could have been an attention in Philemon's heart. The tension in Philemon's heart is, am I being manipulated here? Am I being cornered? Am I being pressed into a place where I have to give this? If there was any kind of bitterness within the heart of Philemon, it would come out at this moment. I'm being forced to release Anesimus. You're asking me this. I can't. You, you brought it out before the whole congregation. I, I now have to do this. There would be a temptation, certainly. And if there was any kind of bitterness at all in Philemon, it would have been exposed by this point. When a person is bitter and being compelled to act in godliness, he would have to accuse others around him of doing evil. When the heart is bitter and is being asked to do what is right, it is going to accuse others of doing wrong. That's why it can justify its bitterness. So I posed the question last week to demonstrate, is Paul manipulating Philemon here? And I don't believe that he is. Simply, first of all, because of a a theological reason, if he was manipulating him, he was doing it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so God was complicit in this. We'd know that now because this is the sacred book in the scriptures as part of the canon. But more importantly, just see Paul's content here. When we move into verse 8 and following, we see the principles of love worked out. We see how Paul interacted with Philemon. To demonstrate that he is not compelling Philemon against his will to do what's right, he's calling Philemon to act in consistency with what his character is. Philemon, you are a man who loves God. Continue to love God. And he lays out how that is. There's no tension for Philemon here to continue to love God, and this is what Paul is going to unfold for him here. We have seen so far the people, verses 1 and 2, We have seen the problem, the runaway slave Onesimus is now a believer returning back to his former master Philemon. And now we come to the proposal, which is release Onesimus to Paul. Notice what Paul writes here. We'll read from 8 to 14. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper, Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you, in person, that is, sending my very heart, whom I wish to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, 
but of your own free will. We'll just stop right there for tonight. Is that last phrase there that Paul is saying, I am writing to you, so I'm, you wouldn't do this out of compulsion, but by your own free will, that Paul himself understands this very tension. That it could appear to Philemon to be a matter of manipulation, a matter of being unfairly forced. But instead, what is being demonstrated here is that Paul is practicing the principles of love. What I want to draw out in these verses are five principled practices of love as he walks through this. The first is this. Paul is not manipulating Philemon because Paul is releasing his right to demand Philemon to act according to Paul's will. Say simply, Paul releases his right to let others do what is right, particularly to let Philemon do what is right. Notice what he says back in verse 8. Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. He recognizes, Paul here, recognizes he could have, as an apostle of the church, commanded Philemon to act in a particular way. He could have laid out exactly what Philemon's obedience would have looked like. He was, after all, an apostle of the church, and not just a church, but all the churches. He was to minister. He had this unique role of authority. And in a position like this, as one who is an authority over all the churches, he could have easily have said to Philemon, here is what you ought to do. Send him to me. And directed Philemon, and no one could have called or questioned otherwise. Paul did not do that. That's what he says there. Though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do what is proper. I'm confident of my role and my responsibility and the position I've been given. I've been confident in the work that I'm doing that this would be a right thing to do. And he can make a good case. He can make a case that Onesimus, again, is a believer and he can minister to him in a unique way as a believer there in Rome. He would be useful for the gospel work, for the work of Christ. He could have made all the necessary arguments to demonstrate this. But Paul is giving up his personal rights there, and entrusting himself to Philemon to do the right thing. Well within his authority, and after all, he did call out Philemon before the whole church, back in verse 2. The whole church is made aware of this. At the same time, it is Tychicus who had come with this letter with Onesimus there, and they were reading it out together. He had brought everyone together. He could have easily at that moment in time said something, but he didn't. Paul had the authority to make it clear the proper path, and yet he did not assert his authority in this case. Second principle demonstrated Instead of telling Philemon what he must do, Paul appeals to Philemon to do what is principled and proper. Say it like this, love encourages other believers to walk in love. 
He is both compelled by love and he calls Philemon to walk in love. Notice verse 9. Yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you. He could have, again, demanded, but he doesn't. He appeals. And that word appeal is rather curious. The word is parakaleo. It has the idea of calling one out to walk alongside of. The word is translated in other places as exhort. In Romans 12.1 and 15.30, it's translated like this, I beseech you. It's the idea, I plead with you, parakaleo. Romans 16.1 is the idea, I urge you. Romans 4.1, it's, it's translated as either, or not Romans, Ephesians 4.1, it's translated as implore or beseech. The idea is, I exhort you, I encourage you, I beseech you. More than just appeal to you, I am calling you out to walk as I walk. I strongly urge you, is what he's saying here. For love's sake, I rather strongly appeal to you. I urge you to think carefully, to think properly about this. And Paul tells us again his motivation on it. It is for his, for love's sake, he is going to appeal. Instead of acting as one who is an authority forcing Philemon, he is out of love going to urge him to do the right thing. This is how we operate. We encourage God's people to do what is right. We beseech, we urge, we exhort. It is in such a way we operate like Paul here. We're desiring your good and the glory of God, and so we speak. We speak with an exhortation to exhort and do what is good. Literally, it reads in the text, on account of love, I beseech you, or I urge you. It's because of the principle of love. Love is that very driving force for Paul, and it is the very driving force that he is appealing to Philemon to operate by. He is expecting Philemon to operate in this principle of love, that he would understand love guiding him through this whole circumstance and situation. Philemon, or Paul is demonstrating that he knows Philemon understands what is right, and he is encouraging Philemon to do that which he knows is right. Love has to be that motivating factor for him. Love has to be that proper principle that is motivating him so he operates in a way that would honor God. It starts, of course, with Paul practicing it. He's going to entrust himself to the principle of love, but he's now appealing to Philemon to also walk in that principle of love. And I recognize this. This is where forgiveness breaks down. It typically breaks down because we fail to walk in love. We fail to practice the principle of love. In fact, we are unwilling to forgive, slow to forgive, resistant in our forgiveness because love has grown cold. To say it a different way, 
We have loved holding on to the debt more than we have loved the relationship with the individual or the person. We hold on to the debt, we keep that debt, that debt becomes bigger and more meaningful to us than the expression of love to others, and therefore that debt is not released. Paul, again, in this saying, I I desire to come to you in the principle of love and appeal to you. And again, this is where Philemon is going to be tested. Will he love and return? Will he release Onesimus? I understand at times sin's debt becomes so big that we think it would be impossible to really love in that situation. Sometimes the sins against us are so heinous, so difficult that we can't imagine that debt ever being released. Certain fears creep into our mind and begin to rule us thinking that this sin is going to go unchecked and the person is just going to do it again. And all of these fears rule our hearts and it makes reconciliation impossible. And when those fears are ruling our hearts and, and that debt is becoming bigger and bigger, bigger bitterness starts to fill our own hearts. And that bitterness clouds our judgment, it clouds our assessment. And what happens when we are operating in that? One evidence that comes out is a lack of love. There's no care for the other person, no protection of them, no protection of what is right, no sense of desiring to bless and to care for the other person. It's just self-absorbed bitterness. And sometimes it's just one big act against us. Other times it's a bunch of small acts stacking up, not forgiven. But people get to a point where love grows cold and begins to destroy. And it's by Paul's selfless act here that he demonstrates for Philemon the kind of principal character that he is going to need to operate herein. Paul is not exhorting himself. Paul is coming in humility and love towards Philemon to encourage Philemon to do the right thing. And I think many times in, about counseling married couples, for example, or interpersonal relationships, and the amount of time The number of counseling events I've seen where people are bitter against each other, a husband or wife, that cannot see or acknowledge their transgressions, and they form a bitterness that everything is viewed through that bitterness. And that bitterness has grown so much in their heart and life that they cannot love and are okay with the fact that love is dead and gone. They are quick to throw barbs, quick to challenge, quick to undermine, quick to attack, quick to read a negative uh, motive into the other person's actions. It's in that they are then not operating by this principle of love. They are consumed with themselves. Principal practice of love is that it encourages other believers to walk in love just as they do. Exactly what Paul is doing here. Notice he says the word he appeals. And again, I don't think it's 
a gentle appeal here. I think it's exhortation. I exhort you. I beseech you. To say it a different way, I, I would want to compel you to walk in love, Philemon. Why I could have called you by my own authority as an apostle, I rather urge you strongly to consider love. I invite you to do what is proper. I like this language of the Apostle Paul here. Because too often people want to be told exactly what to do and just get it over with. And Paul rather just says, walk by love. Walk by the big, magnanimous expressions of love. Again, thinking about the bitter husband who has been told your bitterness is ruling in your life and is destroying your marriage. And he says to him, I love my wife. What do I need to do? Do I need to buy her flowers? Do I need to take her out on a date? Do I need to get her some gifts? I'll do those things. I'll show you that I love her. Like, wow, I'm convinced. No, there is the selfless sacrifice, the principle of love ruling and reigning that crushes bitterness, that forgives richly, that covers a transgression, that seeks to bless. It is that kind of love, again, where Paul recognizing, while I have the authority to do something, I give it up to, com- to encourage you to do the right thing. I personally sacrifice placing myself at your disposal, trusting that you're going to do the right thing. That was Paul here, selflessly, sacrificially caring, and saying to his brother Philemon here, walk in the same pattern that I walk. Don't hold on to personal infractions against you. Don't go on being absorbed in bitterness. But be gentle, be loving, be long-suffering, seek the good of others, endure all things, believe all things, hope all things, minister in a kind of love that's not self-absorbed. That is the principal practice of love, that it is walking in love and calling others to do the same. The problem is that the self-absorbed and narcissistic heart is consumed by loving itself at the expense of others. And it writes others off and discredits others because the others are getting in the way of what it wants. That could have been Paul here, but he gives it up. He says, I entrust myself to you. And he's saying, finally, man, walk in the same kind of love that I'm walking in. And certainly there would have been many reasons for Philemon to be bitter. Onesimus was the runaway slave. Onesimus had done evil towards him. Onesimus had harmed him in some way. And Philemon is being exhorted, do not return evil for evil. Onesimus instead showed you evil, but now he is repenting and he is returning. So show him the love that Paul demonstrated towards Philemon. Third principle is this. Do what is right for the sake of the body of Christ. Or, we say like this, love operates for the benefit of others. Love operates for the benefit of others. You see that in the second half of verse 9. Paul says, you know, I'd rather appeal to you. Notice, since I am such a person as Paul, the aged, 
and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I love this uh, kind of statement here that Paul is making. I'm an old man. To keep back from this old man one more grace, one little benefit. And after all, I'm also imprisoned. A prisoner of the gospel, a prisoner because I had committed myself to ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ didn't give me glory, it gave me chains. And I, I appeal to you. I appeal that you would recognize my age and my experiences and that you would benefit me in just this small way. You would see my sufferings and my difficulties for the labors of Christ and you would care for those labors. You know what happens when one is bitter? They fail to see the effect they have on others. So consumed by the personal debt, so personally hurt by the personal debt that they do not know how they, they hurt others. And Paul draws the attention here and says, remember me, remember my sufferings, my difficulties, and also remember my age. Not getting any younger. Work is getting harder. Labors are getting heavier. The older he's getting, I'm sure that the prison comforts of, you know, the beds there weren't exactly, you know, Hilton level quality. Is there suffering and he's ultimately saying, will you minister to me in this small way in my personal sufferings? And if Philemon was so self-absorbed and so bitter at what he's been hurt that he's not going to think about Paul, he's not going to think about Paul's difficulties, he's only going to think about himself in that situation, then in that then he is going to overlook the opportunity that he would have to bring a blessing to others. One who operates under the principle of love realizes that he can express that love to care for others, to minister to others. I mean, again, he, in one sense, Paul could say to Philemon, I am not asking you to do anything more than I have regularly done. Paul has given up his freedoms. He's given up you know, his, his life for the service of Christ. So for Philemon to give up one of his servants over to minister to Paul is just a small sacrifice compared to the same sacrifices that Paul has given. And Paul certainly could have added to that list. He could have talked about his shipwrecks. He could have ta- talked about the personal floggings that he received, the times that he was beaten, etc. There are many ways that Paul could have just added to that list of personal sufferings. None of that he does. He's just saying to Philemon, do the same that I have done, personally sacrifice. Oftentimes I recognize this. Sometimes we do not richly forgive others because we're not ready to lose what we believe is ours. We're not ready to give up something. We thought it has been taken away from us and we're not ready to give it up. And we want to hold on to it tightly. We believe we deserve that. Whatever it is that we're holding on to here. Paul is reminding Philemon 
For him to demonstrate love in this situation is to willingly give up something. Just as Paul himself has willingly given up many things. By the way, Christians, this is how we all live regularly. God in his work in our life regularly imposes his will upon our life that we give up many things that we may not have wanted to. It's not like my sermon series are so compelling that you want to be here on Sunday night. You know as you know it's best for your spiritual life and so you strive. It's not like you didn't have anything better to do, men, on Saturday night, but to serve the ladies and set up chairs and move things around. But you did because you wanted to care for others. We can find a lot of things that we'd rather be doing, but God in His ministry pushes us and moves us. So we think about our own ministry challenges ahead and you know buildings and things and updates and the costs and that. It's not like we wanted to spend our money on those things. Yet the Lord moves in His ministry. All of this points out to us that love operates for the benefit of others and not for self. Seek to care for others. I think this is, again, the fourth principle brought out from the text is in verse 10. Which is this, we don't want to get in the way of greater gospel work. Or to say it differently, love is motivated by a higher purpose, i.e. a love for God. Love is motivated by a higher purpose, and we don't want to get in the way. Verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. I think oftentimes this is where we struggle in the process of reconciliation. When somebody has sinned against us, a professing believer in Christ has sinned against us, and we aren't willing to forgive and we're holding on to that debt, we fail to recognize that we need to turn that individual over to God. We get in the way, in essence, of the work and get ourselves in the middle of it instead of recognizing, I want to get out of the way and turn that person over to the Lord. In this particular case, Paul says, I appeal to you, my child, Onesimus, in this phrase, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment. There is something different now about this Onesimus when he left you. When he left you, he was simply a slave. When he left you, he was one of your workers. He is no longer one of your workers. He is now a child in the faith whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Paul says. I ministered the gospel to him, and he came to Christ. This changes the entire dynamics of the relationship that you had with Onesimus. He's a child to Paul, a labor, part of Paul's labors. I love that compassion. Is my child, which he, he goes on later uh, and says of him, that he is, in verse 12 there, I have sent him back to you in person that is sending my very heart. Not just my child, the one I, I deeply love and appreciate. In my very heart, I'm giving him back to you. 
I'm sharing with you my deep love. Think about this in this moment. Philemon's response to Onesimus had the opportunity either to affirm gospel work or discredit it. Philemon's character and how he responded in this moment to this young believer who is coming back to Philemon had an opportunity to either affirm the testimony of the gospel or discredit it altogether. And Paul is asking him to look beyond himself to the bigger work. How many times do we get into, again, the work of ministry and don't recognize this is about more than just my own personal relationship here. This is about kingdom work. It's about the gospel. It's about the riches of God's grace on display. We're just little parts in this bigger picture here. But yet a heart that won't forgive, a heart that's consumed with bitterness is only consumed about what it's lost and doesn't see the bigger picture. The gospel work, the gospel testimony, and how one's actions could undermine the very work of the gospel. And how it all could be lost quickly and easily. Fifth principle laid out, seen in verse 11. The reason to forgive it, we forgive because it restores the rich blessings God wants to grace us with. Or, love is the channel through which God pours out his favor. Love is the channel through which God pours out his favor. Verse 11 who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. Now, this fight, this Onesimus who's returning, who is now a believer, is now useful, and Paul says he's useful to both of us now. He left you useless. He left you as he ran away in sin. He was a runaway. He was bad dad. He was, you wrote it off. He was uncollectible. Now he's a believer. He's returning. And now he can bring a benefit to both you and to me. It is love that God pours out his channel of blessing on all. So that now Onesimus here is useful to both Paul and to Philemon. Useful to Paul in this sense. He can minister to Paul in prison, continue to meet Paul's needs, Paul's burdens, continue to encourage Paul, continue to go out. With with Paul being in prison, he wouldn't be able to go out and get food. They wouldn't provide that food for him. So he would need friends or someone around to do that. Onesimus would go out and be able to do that. Onesimus could probably also go deliver things for Paul. He can meet up with other friends around and bring messages back to Paul. This would be very useful for Paul's position. But not only that, he was useful to Philemon. Because now Philemon could be the one to say, I will supply to you Onesimus. Paul, I will give you, as an act of my love, I will give you Onesimus. And now Philemon is blessed. Because Philemon is demonstrating his love to Paul. This is the principal practice of love. 
it pours out favor upon all. God's blessings are poured out. Obviously, in the salvation of Onesimus, but now in the benefit of Onesimus to both Paul and to Philemon. I like to see this in verse 12. Onesimus was repentant, by the way. Verse 12, I have sent him back to you in person that is sending my very heart. And Paul says, I wish to keep him with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment. Here he was repentant. He had come back. He had returned to face the music, as it were. Paul would rather have kept him there, but he sent he sends him instead, again, to push upon Philemon, for Philemon to do the right thing, for Philemon to operate in love. Now, I believe that verse 14 summarizes the whole thing, the summary of love practiced. Notice what it says. But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. I am going to lay out the path for you. I'm going to point you to what is right, and then I'm going to step back and let you do the right thing. Not compelling, not under compulsion. You do this as an act of love for your own heart. Paul comes full circle at this point, exactly where he started in verse 8. I could have compelled you, but I'm not. I could have forced you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm appealing to you to operate in love. The very love that I'm seeking to show you, I want you to show towards me. Not self-absorbed, not self-seeking. I'm looking for you to care. And I'm looking for you to care, Philemon, towards Onesimus, recognizing that as you minister to him, you minister to the whole body. And as you minister in love, not only will you receive favor, but I will receive favor and others will. Don't choke out the love that God has as he is expressing his favor upon many individuals in this situation. Don't be self-absorbed by bitterness that all you can see is your own personal hurts and you can't see the effect on others. Experience the rich blessing by letting go of those things and demonstrating love to others. See, friends, I think this is where most of the struggles of forgiveness comes into. We are so self-absorbed because of bitterness that our love is choked out. It's consumed about what it will get. And doesn't recognize that until we start loving and care for others, God's favor is not going to be poured out. Well, that's good enough for tonight. We'll pick up next time we come back together in a couple of weeks and continue on this principle of love here. But I would encourage you with this. If the Lord should bring up into your life a circumstance that's difficult for you to overcome, assess, you know, first of all, is your heart filled with bitterness? Is it choking out your love? Are you able to freely love others, freely care for them, freely minister to them, selflessly and sacrificially? And maybe you have to be like the Apostle Paul, that you're the first one demonstrating it, living in hopeful anticipation that the other is going to respond back to you in return. 
That's exactly what Paul did here. He was anticipating, hoping, trusting Philemon would do the right thing. And oftentimes, maybe we just need a little perspective change and stop thinking about ourselves and how we're going to benefit from here and think more corporately and eternally what is going to honor the Lord here long term. If you struggle with forgiveness, go back and assess where is the principle of love operating in your circumstances. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this text and for the riches of this text and thrilled just to stand over the shoulder of the Apostle Paul as he writes this very personal letter to Philemon. We wish that we would be able to see the response, but we can only assume the best from a man of God who cared so richly and deeply and sacrificially for your people. We only can assume that he showed this love to Onesimus, that he received Onesimus with joy as a believer. May we not lose heart and unbelief in the circumstances we're in. When somebody has sinned against us and we are so tempted to hold on to those debts and we lose faith and we lose hope and we lose endurance, thinking there's no way this person is going to change, there's no good that can come out of this, Heart becomes embittered by the difficulty of the circumstance. May we not lose faith in those moments. May we trust that just as you loved us while we were yet enemies, that we too can show love to our enemies and that you would do a good work in their hearts and transform them. That your gospel is powerful enough to transform and to renew and to draw people to yourself and to demonstrate the riches of your glory so that we would seek to operate by the principle of love in all circumstances so that we would be out of the way and you would be richly on display so that we would not be caught up in our own personal uh, desires but we would let your grace be on display for indeed your grace is lavished upon us abundantly marvelously in so many different ways. In fact, it is demonstrated so richly around that we have uh, oftentimes lost heart. But we do not want to lose heart in doing what is good. And so we ask for your encouragement in our hearts and lives to continue to direct us to do what's right in all seasons, trusting you by first of all being those examples ourselves And by second of all, compelling your people to do the same so that the riches of your truth will be on display. Thank you for this body and their response to the truth. Continue to encourage them. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.